Hello, you're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, the markets, and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends? How about innovations in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver some of the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insights. In this episode, our guest is Noah Kay, Managing Director and Senior Analyst at Oppenheimer. And our host is Jane Ross, Managing Director of Investment Banking at Oppenheimer. This episode was recorded on April 11th, 2023. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to our episode called Stocks for a Warming World. I'm your host, Jane Ross, and we're here with Noah Kay, a Managing Director and Senior Analyst covering sustainable growth and resource optimization at Oppenheimer. Now, the last time Noah was here, we discussed the circular economy in a great episode that's still extremely relevant. Now, we're here because Noah has expanded his coverage of the HVAC and refrigeration industry. The drivers here align with his areas of coverage and sustainable growth, climate change, decarbonization, and importantly, the use of technology to optimize or displace natural resource consumption. So we'll discuss these trends and importantly, the companies that investors should be following in our warming world. So welcome, Noah. Jane, thanks for having me back. And to all the listeners, I hope wherever you are, you're in a comfortable climate. Uh, as you're listening. Yes. Well, I guess before we get into the meat of this, the HVAC industry, it was interesting to me, you have a personal connection here, right? Uh, Yeah. I spent several years working for my family's HVAC contracting company, and we provide services and installation in the New York City boroughs. It was a great job. It was humbling. It was rewarding. And you know, the truth is, it's not easy to find skilled workers able to perform these jobs. One of the points we noted in our white paper is today there's a shortage of 110,000 HVAC workers in the United States alone. And when we look at the aging workforce and the declining emphasis on trades education in this country, by 2027, there's going to be 1.8 jobs available for every HVAC technician. Whoa. And so that's, that's part of the opportunity we see in this industry. But just having lived it, I think, gave me an appreciation for the difficulty involved in the job and a lot of respect for everybody in the trade. Well, yeah, it's given you appreciation and importantly, knowledge. So that's cool. Okay, well, let's let's start with some context here and the macro picture and our warming world. How would you set the stage? I think the basic point here is climate comfort's essential to modern civilization. And it's also an increasingly complex proposition for a society that's grappling with climate change. Right. And I think the the drivers that you mentioned, Shane, are, are really going to shape this industry over the next decade plus. So we actually identified the top 10 drivers in our white paper, but climate change impacts, decarbonization, energy efficiency, electrification, regulation, digitalization, connectivity, uh, healthy buildings, uh, where we work and how we work post-COVID. If you think about it, when you follow HVAC, you're really talking about how we live and the environment that we live in. And so I guess as we think about all of these different drivers, 
we felt that as GDP levels rise, demand would rise. Today, only 8% of the 3 billion people living in the hottest parts of the world have air conditioning. So there's a wealth effect. But there are several demand multiplier effects that we believe will drive global demand growth for HVAC in excess of GDP growth over the next decade. Right. And so, okay, so clearly we're going to be looking at growing demand for these services. And I guess when you look at your universe, you have a focus on the built environment or buildings because that accounts for a good amount of emissions, right? Yep. Buildings account for 37% of global CO2 emissions. And HVAC systems are the largest contributor to that. So when we think about demand drivers, energy efficiency retrofits, huge opportunity in the trillions, electrification of heating through heat pumps, big trend happening in the industry right now. And I would pull back and say, look, you know, we also have rising mean global temperatures. It's not your imagination. It really is getting hotter. The U.S. has experienced a 40% increase in rolling average cooling degree days since 1960. And when you look at IEA projections, something like another 27% increase through 2050, the warming impacts will probably be more intense in the parts of the world that are already the hottest. So those are some of the trends that we're looking at. And so decarbonization is not only an opportunity, but an imperative uh, to help stem some of these drivers that society has to grapple with. Well, right. And so obviously warming is, is a real thing. But then when you look at AC, that contributes to a good amount of the emissions, which we're trying to cut back on. So as we have to cool an increasing percentage of the population, is that kind of a doomsday scenario for carbonization? It depends on how efficient the systems are and how you're powering those systems. If you have the greening of the grid, which is obviously a big theme within our broader coverage, and you mentioned AC, but I would also say heat pumps are important because you're taking the heat source from fossil fuels, right, where you're doing combustion within the building, and transitioning that over to electrification, uh, that the efficiency on an energy basis of heat pumps, you know, is typically two to four times higher than even the highest efficiency furnace. So electrification isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it can be quite a good thing for carbon emissions. Cooling demand is something that we're going to have to deal with as a society no matter what. And so the companies that we cover are focused on doing that in as sustainable and energy efficient a way as possible. Okay. And and talk about that a little bit more. So the efficiency in some of the different ways of achieving cooling and heating things I don't know a whole lot about, but geothermal or using more renewables, you know, wh- how are we going to do this more efficiently? Sure. Uh, let's, let's, let's double click on heat pumps. Heat pumps still meet less than 10% of global heating needs in buildings, but the penetration rates have been growing meaningfully. They grew 15% uh, year over year in 2021. They increased nearly 6x between 2020, 2016 and 2021. And we generally regard the transition to heat pumps as a net positive for the coverage because rising heat pump penetration is going to drive market share gains and higher replacement sales. Heat pumps have a shorter life versus furnaces. And I think we'll also support better operational efficiency 
for the HVAC companies around product development and go-to-market. So as I mentioned earlier, two to four times more energy efficient than even the most uh, energy efficient furnace. The levelized cost of heat pumps is generally at or better than condensing furnaces in most geographies. One of the big innovations we've seen over the last several years has been cold climate heat pumps, those continuing to get more and more efficient and more effective, and that supporting penetration of heat pumps in colder parts of the country and indeed colder geographies around the world. So that's a trend that we think has long-term staying power and is a big part of the product portfolio for the coverage. Okay. And I guess also driving a lot of this, we're seeing uh, changes in regulation and tackling some of the things that have caused problems. I know refrigerants, the use of HFCs and, and leakage, we're getting tighter on all of those issues too, right? That's right. I mean, we're in the midst of a low global warming potential refrigerant transition. Uh, just to step back, refrigerants are essential to the vapor compression cycle, which is used in air conditioning and heat pumps. The older generation HCFCs uh, produced significant emissions when they were leaked. HFCs, hydrofluorocarbons, which are being phased out now, also have high emissions. Uh, and, and so we are going through both on the equipment side and on the service side, a fairly rapid transition over the next essentially two to three years towards low global warming potential refrigerants, HFOs. Uh, and this uh, has some mixed implications for the coverage. In general, it should lead to, we think, faster replacement sales. It should also create some consolidation uh, and growth opportunities on the service side. But it is requiring significant investment by the industry because many players are having to redo the bomb, the, the, the product itself, to uh, it, you know, utilize the new refrigerants. There are also codes that need to be updated. The new refrigerants are classified as mildly flammable. Mildly, but if you use the word flammable, that requires a change in building codes, which has not taken full effect across the country yet. Uh, and so, you know, that's an example where regulations over time do create growth opportunities for companies in the sector that we cover, but the transition certainly bears watching and can have some short-term impacts as well. Okay. Well, one of the things that you talked about there, we should probably spend two seconds on. So costs of all of this, right as some are concerned about commercial real estate and if we're going to see more distress in the commercial real estate market and commercial lending has been slowing. So the ability to fund all of this, is that something that, that worries you? I think you have to be attentive to the elevated uncertainty for real estate construction. We were developing this white paper right as all the events with Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and others were transpiring. And we felt at the time of the report, and I continue to think so, is that credit conditions will likely continue to tighten for the real estate market. These trends were already underway at the start of 2023. We'll be watching for the April Fed loan opinion survey to get updated data points. But I do think that there are mitigating factors. One, broader economic conditions are 
relatively favorable. We still have near low unemployment to the, the stress that we've seen in banks isn't coming yet from underperformance in real estate lending portfolios. And three, the policy response has been relatively swift. But all factors considered, we wouldn't be surprised to see worsening non-res construction indicators in the months and quarters ahead. And historically, there has been some sensitivity in the fundamentals and in the stocks to that. If we look at how the stocks have performed year to date, they were generally faring well. And then we saw renewed concerns over commercial real estate exposure with multi-industry earnings that happened already in the quarter. And that impacted these companies. We think it may actually set up uh, some better than fear dynamics for the companies over the next several quarters because of some of the buffers that we've mentioned and due to the fact that the backlogs for these companies, particularly projects that are under development, are likely to be fairly robust. Still, we need to keep our eye on all those construction indicators because they do matter to the sector and the stocks. Okay. So I think we've set the table pretty well here with the big picture the whys and the changes ahead. Let's delve now into the companies. Where are you telling investors to to focus their attention? Our current picks are JCI, Johnson Controls, and Carrier Global Corporation. These two are names that we felt had a lot of runway for self-help, improvements on margins, higher sustained organic growth rates, and really leveraging Internet of Things platforms to drive recurring revenue, greater aftermarket and services growth, uh, and ultimately improving the quality of the business. We also highlighted that both companies had, and particularly Carrier had, potential catalysts in the form of uh, portfolio evolution. Uh, Carrier, which only spun out of uh, United Technologies a couple of years ago, has been fairly explicit about that portfolio evaluation continuing and opportunities for divestiture and becoming more of an HVAC pure play. And in fact, at the time as we're recording this, just today, the Wall Street Journal reported the company was exploring a potential divestiture of its fire and security business. So long story short, runway for margin improvement, leveraging technology platforms, drive recurring revenue and aftermarket growth. So plenty of self-help opportunities partly offsetting this uncertain macro environment. Okay. And Johnson Controls, you've been covering for some time, right? We have, yes. And and that's that's you rate that and outperform here. Yes, it's actually our top pick. And in fact, I think this is the most obvious stock in the group for a catch-up. It underperformed so far this year because they hit snags in their supply chain. JCI has a much higher install and service exposure versus many peers particularly in North America. And their supply chain caused some delays in revenue recognition during a 1Q. We see that just being a timing issue. The company should have significantly better margin profile as we look to the quarters ahead because what's trapped in their backlog is high margin. And so as that rolls through, we see very nice incrementals happening. I think as we take a longer term view, we felt the company's investment in really a best in class Internet of Things platform, Open Blue, would be a long term differentiator. JCI has fundamentally made a bet on driving higher performance uh, in buildings and connecting more systems within buildings to do so. And although we understand that there's trepidation over commercial real estate over the next couple of years, 
long term, we're big believers in connectivity, asset optimization, driving service events, driving higher stickiness, driving higher business quality. And we think that's something the company is set up well to do. Nice. And what about, I guess we can't talk about this without talking about train. Yeah, I think train is really viewed uh, as a best in class pure play uh, in the space. If you look at their their margins um, and their exposure and the strength of their brands, uh, that's certainly supported. The company's done a great job executing since 2020, uh, fastest margin expansion among peers, uh, despite sending a significant amount per year every year in product development, pretty elevated uh, backlog as we entered 2023. But we did rate the stock perform to start. Really a few factors there. One was premium valuation. Uh, the stock is significantly higher on a multiple basis on price to free cash flow versus the HVAC beer average. Second factor, lower target incrementals and implied rate of margin expansion from here versus peers. And then third, just the lack of clear catalysts uh, that we saw with some of the other names in terms of uh, portfolio optimization and self-help. I, I would say in general, this is a high quality name and it wouldn't take that much for us to tip the company over to an outperform rating. And so we'll be watching the company's booking trends, macro indicators, and valuation closely. Good. Who else should we talk about? Uh, the last name that we haven't discussed is Lennox International, which uh, plays more in residential HVAC versus the peers. I think it's a, a name most North American investors will know well. They've seen some recent management changes. They've narrowed their focus to winning in North America. Uh, and they have some some clear strengths, an unmatched direct channel for Resi HVAC, an e-commerce platform generating share gains, and some very solid innovation capabilities. Uh, we started this one at Perform, just given the residential cycle headwinds that we expect will translate to below average organic growth in 2023. Uh, but longer term, the company's laid out a path to what could be best-in-class margins by 2026. The divestiture of their European operations is one factor in that. Commercial segment recovery will be another, and then just share and productivity gains in their residential business. I think as we watch them execute under new managements, get this EU divestiture behind them, see the the margin performance really start to tick up, uh, there's opportunities to get constructive. So last time when, when you and I did one of these and we talked about the circular economy, and I love these topics that are so relevant thematically for our, our world. When you look ahead at this industry for the next three to five years, given the growing demand, given changes in temperatures, are you pretty optimistic that we're going to rise to meet these challenges and that these companies are going to be at the forefront of doing so? You know, I think we're certainly optimistic the companies will be at the forefront. There's no, there's no doubt that climate innovation is central to what makes all of these companies tick. For some of them, they actually have embedded sustainability requirements into their product development. And highlighting that innovation capability was a big focus of our white paper. It's really difficult to meet these challenges without innovation, and, and we see strong capabilities across the sector. As we pull back, though, I think there's a lot more than just you know what the companies can do themselves as HVAC providers to meet goals of decarbonization and moving towards you know, net zero or even net positive economy over time. Our broader coverage, which includes you know names that even finance this space like Amoresco or uh, Hannon Armstrong, 
our key solution providers, uh, our renewable energy coverage uh, key, key solution providers, EVs as well. Um, it's such a massive problem and there's so many components to it. This is an important factor for sure. But one of the things that we like is holistically looking at different technology providers in the space, watching them partner come together to solve these problems. We really can't do it alone. We have to do it together. Well, it's such important work, and it's so wonderful that you can combine that with the opportunity for investors to do well by playing these themes. And for those listeners that want to delve into this deeper, Noah has written a white paper, which what, clocks in at 100 pages? Yep. It's a little light reading. So for anyone that wants more detail on this topic, we have that for you. But Noah, thank you again. This is just very, very helpful to explain the dynamic here. And certainly anyone that wants to go into this in more detail can pursue this directly with Noah and their coverage. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless, so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode and remember to subscribe today. Join our community to expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future.